0: Hey folks, welcome back to the DC three cast. I am Brian. With me as always are Zach and Vince, although sadly they aren't with me in my basement. I'm down here solo. They are back in Kentucky and Minnesota respectively. He's lying, are... he
1: has us trapped.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's the If what? I have you trapped, then I've very much improved our sound quality somehow <laughs> in the last week. So <laughs> Um but anyway, we're back to do more of our bullshit for y'all. So, um a couple of bits in your Comic-Con and beyond news to catch up on. Uh Vince, why don't you talk about the manga news since you're far more knowledgeable about this than I am?
2: Oh geez. Okay. So, <clears throat> apparently, and I don't know the um I don't know the specific details of this like uh you know, how the partnership happened or what sort of partnership it is, but um apparently Rooster Teeth is teaming up with DC in some what way. What is Rooster Be- Teeth for people
0: who don't oh. know?
2: Rooster Teeth is like this company that um I believe I mean they're a multimedia company, but I believe they started in video games. Is that right, Zach? Or
1: so they're like famous for the red versus blue That's uh, like right. Halo, the Halo. Yep. thing.
2: Yeah. Yep. So the red versus blue Halo thing where they made like um like funny shorts uh using using assets from the halo games um so robot chicken got it i mean basically no rooster team um but anyway they've been branching out and into like uh you know anime and manga writer um with it with ruby rwby and uh, something called genlock which i'm not I'm familiar with Ruby. I'm not familiar with Genlock.
1: Genlock is brand new, I think. They were, okay. there, were, there was a ton of advertisement for it at, at New York. Yes, Comic-Con. there was.
2: Yeah, big, um, giant banner. Yeah.
1: Has a pretty uh, impressive voice cast. Um, uh-huh. like Michael B. Jordan. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, who Who is Arya Stark in Game of Thrones? Is that... Maisie Williams. Yeah, yeah, she's in it. Yeah, so Dave, pretty David,
2: impressive. David Tennant.
1: Oh, is he in it too? He's in it. That's wild. That that hooks you, Zach. I do like Doctor Who, although I haven't <laughs> seen the new season yet.
2: Um, but anyway, there's already manga for for Ruby at least, and there's anime for both of them, I believe. Ruby and Genlock. I mean, so, the Genlock the Genlock one is the thing that's coming. But anyway, yeah, yeah. the pairing of Rooster Teeth and DC is going to produce. What I assume are, like, American-style comics based on these properties.
0: Yeah, I had the press release right in front of me here. Uh, Rooster Teeth is partnering with DC to produce a slate of comic books based on Rooster Teeth original IPs, two of which were revealed today, and then it's close to the two. Um, Ruby and Genlock comic books will be available both physically and digitally in 2019. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... And then Jim Lee said, the comics and graphic novels will focus on bridging the stories between seasons, I presume, of the anime, as well as exploring the adventures of the supporting characters who play a direct role in the overall plot and who could have a heavy impact on the storyline. Now, just today, new manga... New mangas of both of these books were also announced. But those, I believe, are not the same as these.
1: Right, Right, right. Well, there... And there have been manga adaptations of ruby for a little while i think there may be at least like two different series going i want to say there's six
0: volumes according to this press release
1: okay yeah i think there's there's definitely like a main series and then like an anthology series which mm-hmm. one of them ran for a few chapters in weekly shonen jump for a minute too um I'm a little more iffy on that
2: though i think you're right because i viz had some ruby stuff at new york comic-con too mm-hmm. yeah Um, yeah, but that's, this is wild news, I think, because first of all, something I, I think we've said, I just want to say one thing, Vince, I'm sorry. Um, they are,
0: it is confirming the press release that both are Warner Brothers subsidiaries.
2: Okay. So there's the connection. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, I think we've said on the show before how, um, uh, comics, Manga, manga is better than American comics. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Much better. Um you should listen to the other multiversity podcast that has something to do with that. But yeah, um... I
0: do way less work on that show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> My awful voice does not appear on that show. Um but anyway, uh you know, I think that American comics should try to emulate manga in some ways more more often than they currently do. Um I think manga is like insanely popular and smart from a from a business standpoint. And I think you see how impressive the, the the base is. You know, we were just at Comic-Con. And I, I think manga kind of dominated, honestly, as far as, like, who was there to see what. And um, uh, I just think, like, even though these are not, they're not going to be manga, it sounds like they're going to be more, like, akin to the comics that DC already publishes, but about manga-esque properties. I still think it's smart to, you know, there's a whole group of people that probably don't read DC Comics that do read Ruby or at least know what it is. And I think getting those people to buy these comics not only brings you business to your company, but, you know, it could give you inroads to future, you know, future uh, other manga related ventures. And I think that's really smart. And I think that's something that DC and Marvel should both be attempting more often. What do, what do you guys think, Zach? Go ahead. You're the manga boy.
1: I'm torn because, on one hand, I really don't care to see like Americanized versions of or like Westernized versions of of manga um, because I I can almost guarantee that it won't be as good. But I, I say that, and but there have been things like um, – do you guys remember the Attack on Titan anthology that came out like a year or so ago? Yes. Um, yeah. Which I, I haven't read all of it, but I did like flip through it, and, and that's kind of interesting. It depends on the talent, and of course it's just like anything else. Um, so, I mean – is part of me, like, a little trepidatious about um, DC doing, like, a, a Naruto written by Dan DiDio and illustrated by Jim Lee? Yeah, of course, I'm terrified. It'll be two um, and a half
0: issues, and it'll be terrible.
3: But, <laughs> but you love your boy Bort.
1: I do love my boy I'm, Bort. I'm loving I, boy Bort now. I, 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 was, really, I was definitely workshopping uh, my son tweet today about <laughs> Boruto, but I ended up not doing it. Um, But uh, I mean, yeah, I think I think um, I guess that's where I come down. It really just depends on how it's done.
0: I, I think, from a business perspective, it's a very smart move. Um, <clears throat> I often wonder how much crossover there really is between comics and manga readers. the the The, the logical part of me says that it should be nearly 100%, right? Because it's not all that different of an experience. It's, it's still sequential art. It should be, those two things should mean the same thing to most people. You shouldn't have people saying necessarily, Oh, I only read manga or I only read Western comics. I I know that there is obviously preference that goes along with those sort of decisions, but it shouldn't be as radical. This shouldn't be a radical move. Let's put it that way. Um, but I think it it still kind of is in some in some ways. Um, I don't know these properties at all, so it's a little bit hard for me to get excited about anything in story. But I think it's a smart move from DC's part. I will check it out initially because why not? And I hope this does lead to more to more manga and Western comics being spoken about in the same conversation
2: yeah well said
0: what do you guys think is the general overlap between the two
1: how how do you mean
0: like if a hundred people read comics read western comics how many of them also read manga you think on average
1: in america i say in
0: america yeah
1: i would say that's really tough
0: I honestly don't know but you're you're way more tuned into manga than i am so that maybe you have a better I, idea. I
1: would guess that more people who read american comics also read manga than vice versa would be my guess because yeah. a lot of i think people who read american comics are also primed to also be into things like dragon ball things like one piece uh you know like the popular stuff at least whereas like i feel like a lot of people who are maybe like i i think they're probably a lot more strictly Manga and anime readers out there.
2: I also think that. There's a generation or two of older comic book fans who are hanging on like g- guys who have every issue of Amazing Spider-Man memorized and. uh are you talking about f- yourself
0: in the third person?
2: Yeah, who will pay uh, five dollars for Marv Wolfman's autograph <laughs> um, at New York Comic Con. That for them there is barely any overlap into manga, but I feel like people of our age and younger, you know, maybe maybe forty and lower, I think probably most have at least dabbled in both.
0: Yes, yeah, and, and like I know for me, you know, one of the things that Multiversity has done for me is when I came to Multiversity, I was pretty much just reading DC comics. And part of that was because when I was a kid, that's what I read. But, you know, meeting people like you guys and Walt and Matt, it I started reading stuff that you guys would recommend. And I honestly just never had anybody say to me, like, hey, you would enjoy this manga. And it can be intimidating to come at an entire nation's worth of comics and not really have a guide through it. Mm-hmm. So I think something like this might actually be quite useful because... There might be a guy like me out there, you know, me from eight years ago, whatever it was, who isn't opposed to reading manga but doesn't know where to start. And if they're DC readers and they see an an ad for Ruby in the back of their comics, maybe that's a good place for them to to start. Sure. Yes. Well, the other bit of DC News, and I believe this is still rumor, though I've seen it a number of places, is that... um, Former director and writer of the Guardians of the Galaxy film series, James Gunn, will be manning a Suicide Squad sequel for Warner Brothers DC. Now, there's uh, there's two things at play here. First of all, James Gunn was thrown off of the Marvel films for some uh, tweets, which were, I believe, I, I actually don't even remember what they said, because... Life is hell, and so many terrible things have happened <laughs> since then. They
1: they were bad.
0: They were bad, but I believe that they were meant as jokes. Correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
2: Really, really in poor taste jokes. Yeah, but
0: but but no. they weren't like he wasn't actually going after people or anything like that.
2: No. Okay. Um, and then
0: um, you know, he was fired from the from that series because of that, and uh, he will be man Suicide Squad to. Now, they've, there's some indication that it's going to essentially be a soft reboot of it. Um, which makes sense because I cannot imagine Gun following up the tone of that film, which Vince still hasn't seen. Um, that's but, one
2: you can't blame me for. Come on.
0: Oh, no. I mean, I wish I could be as steadfast in my, um, ignorance as you. Thanks. <laughs> um, but Zach, of everyone I know in the whole world, you're the biggest Guardians of the Galaxy film fan. You think Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is a top five Marvel movie? I think it's a
1: number one Marvel movie.
0: <laughs> I was I was being I was trying to avoid being hyperbolic, but I shouldn't have worried. Um, <laughs> so what do you think about this? You're you're the you're the one whose opinion I think is the most uh the most uh, informed and sought after here.
1: So I made, I, I made the statement before we started recording that um, I, I love Guardians of the Galaxy, both films, especially two. But I don't think that my – I don't know that I would love everything that James Gunn does. I haven't, like, seen any of his horror stuff, and I, I don't think I would like it because I just, like, don't care for horror that much. Um, and, and I'm I, – I, I made – the joke that he's no Damon Lindelof. Um, I'm not going to love everything that he does unequivocally. Um, So, yeah, I I mean, if this is the case, I will definitely be there to watch it, and I bet it would be orders of magnitude better than Suicide Squad the original. But... (sighs) I'm still not sure. It would take a huge, like, major, significant aesthetic change for me to
0: get behind it. Yeah, I I mean, to be fair, Zach, you and I went to go see Suicide Squad in the movie theater. We did. (laughs) So us saying we're there for this next movie isn't all that different. No, I'm definitely,
1: like, 100% there. Okay. Um, But... But yeah. I, get I did it. use a gift card.
0: Okay. <laughs> um yeah, it's a uh, it's it's weird, man. It's <laughs> I, I feel like with Joss Whedon writing Justice League, re- rewriting Justice League and James Gunn possibly doing Suicide Squad 2, it really just looks like DC will take any of Marvel's film leftovers. 100%.
1: They're chasing that success,
0: which I get. Those movies are good. DC's movies aren't.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I, I do wish they would find a more uh, a more unique approach to their own yeah. films, especially because Justice League still sucked. It was not good. Vince, have you seen that yet? Fuck off! No, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I can't. I can't remember. Really, I'm not being funny.
2: Yes, oh, I yeah. did. We reviewed it on the podcast. That doesn't mean fuck.
0: you saw it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't remember reviewing it. I don't remember that.
2: Um. All right. Yes, I did. Um. Ten out of ten. Yeah, I think. Uh, this is kind of shifting gears a little bit, but I think Aquaman actually looks all right. So if they're, if I mean they they have a chance to write the ship here. And yeah, uh, Hiring Gun is like derivative or whatever, but, but I it's a good hire. I still yes, I still think it's going to be better than, um, you know, the way this could have gone. And I feel like. I mean, I don't really care if they make good movies or not because I'm here for the comics and not like I I, at this point, I honestly don't care if the movies are good or bad. But um, it does feel like there's a bit of a sea change to make an Aquaman pun um, just based on Wonder Woman and kind of the way that they're approaching uh, Aquaman and. Now the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie yeah. which has a, a vastly different, you know, um a vastly different like artistic focus if if you if you believe what Phoenix says, you know. Uh and that guy doesn't he doesn't seem like one to bullshit, you know. No, he would definitely uh, not perpetrate like a year long stunt for a bad movie. <laughs> oh god, damn it. <laughs> damn you're good. I'm just gonna shut up because I can't <laughs> I can't top that. That's Holy shit. Well done. Thank you. Something, something, Casey Affleck. (laughs) Uh,
3: All right.
0: Well, let's talk about some comics. So we're going to continue our sort of recent format of spotlighting six books this week and then doing rapid fire for the rest afterwards. But let's start with the Cursed Comics Calvalcade. This is an oversized $10 comic with ten different stories in it um, featuring characters like Swamp Thing, Batman, Wonder Woman, uh, Superman, Green Arrow, Solomon Grundy, Zatanna, and more. We'll talk about the individual stories in a second, but overall, what did you guys think of this comic? Um, Overall, I
1: I didn't think it was terribly cursed. (laughs) (laughs) Now, wait a minute. In the bad way or the good way, right? <laughs> it uh, there there were very few cursed images in this book.
2: <laughs> that still doesn't answer my Oops. question. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you like this book, Zach? <laughs> it was it
1: was it was pretty good. I, I yeah I enjoyed most of it. Okay,
2: Vince. Yeah, I'll, I think first of all, remember last year's Halloween book. Oh, do I have to? <laughs> yeah, you do. Um, it was, I believe, every story was plotted by Keith Giffen at least. Yep. Um, and it, and it had a lot of decent artists who who are used to doing horror work, so like that part wasn't problematic. But just the tone weren't there a Giff- bunch
0: of novelists that wrote the scripts? Yes, yes. And back, maybe yep. all. Were
1: all of them novelists?
0: Were any of them no. real estate novelists? Wait, no,
1: no, no. I thought Giffen wrote everything, and then different, or did he co-write them?
2: I want to say he plotted the whole thing, but maybe that's it. He plotted the whole thing, and I believe novelists wrote some of them, and Keith Giffen wrote other ones, and um, anything. The whole thing. The anyway, the whole thing was like a.
1: It was ill-conceived.
2: It yes, it was a mess. I I, I remember enjoying almost none of it. And, uh, yeah, there were several stories in that that treated the heroes very strangely. Um, this book fares so much better than that. It's like a 10 out of 10. The costumes were great by comparison. Um, but I think on the whole, I think there are a few, I think these have been going this way where there's a few really great stories, like maybe three or four, and then the rest are just Okay. But nothing is hot garbage, I think. There, there, uh, you, you thought there was a hot garbage? No, I'll say this. I think there are a couple
0: of weird characterizations in it.
2: Okay. I can, sure. sometimes, I can
0: sometimes forgive those in a, yeah, in I agree. a short one-off. Yes, yeah, especially because these are supposed to be specifically horror-themed. And one of my big qualms, which we'll get to in a minute, I feel like wouldn't work as well if it was more... Based on how the comic character would react in the situation,
2: mm-hmm.
0: we'll get to that in a minute. Though, uh, do you want to go through all of them, or just do, how about we just each pick like maybe one one we really loved and go into that detail? And then if we have any sort of issues, we can do that as opposed to going through ten stories. Sure. So Zach, there were several start?
1: that I really liked. I don't know if I can pick. There, there were. Let's see, really quick, one,
3: two. I can...
0: Vince, you ready to pick one? I,
2: I can. There pick were five my, that I really liked. There were five you really. I think there were four that I really liked. But I can. I can. Pick, I know what my favorite one is. Well, right go for it the then. Bat. Okay, my favorite is the the Megs Visaggio Superman one. That that's one of my five. Yeah, I excellent. I figured it would be. And uh, Minkyu Young is the artist. Yes. Um, I love this one because. When it first, when the, the first couple pages of it were like exactly, it's like, it's like uh, Meg's was in my head or something like that. Like, uh, she, she's way more talented than I am, you know, but like, when we were talking, I think we were talking a couple weeks ago or something about Superman, a, a horror story or something in this book, or I was talking with somebody about it. And I thought like, well, it's gotta be like an existential horror for Superman, you know? That's the kind of thing that we've not seen before. And so when it started out and it was it was seemingly about uh like sleep paralysis in some ways. Um I, sleep I was all so... of those? What's that? Sweep? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Right. I was uh I was so on board with that because if there's any way to Uh, Like fuck with Superman, you know, a lot of writers try to do it on a physical level or whatever, but I'm fascinated with the idea of Superman not being uh, impervious to like mental, mental or psychological or, uh, you know, uh, ephemeral issues, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I think that this was like the perfect approach to take with Superman if you're writing a horror story with him and then the fact that that he uh puts lois in danger by and we find out that it's not really sleep just sleep paralysis that's going on but like regardless it's messing him up psychologically and it's messing with his sleep and he's putting lois in danger and uh it, the whole thing was really conceptually sound to me, and it looked great. Minky Young's great, um, so yeah, this was this was my favorite. It's
1: so good. It's yeah, this one was fantastic. Sleep paralysis really is like one of the scariest things in the world. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> um... I've never
0: had it happen to me.
1: I you. have it so many times. No, I was
0: like, cue myself tonight having sleep paralysis, you know. Because oh, like, and there. like
1: with the full-on hallucinations and everything, it's the literal worst. Um, but what – Oh, yeah, Max is the best. What was the book that I was – that we, I think, talked about on the last episode that we thought would be great if she did? Ah. <sighs>
0: I have a hard time remembering whatever we talk about uh, it, so. I can't remember. There was something that I was just, oh, yeah, I, wish I,
1: don't like, know. I wish I could remember. Um, but, yeah, this was really, really
0: good. Uh, Zach, pick another favorite.
1: You pick one since I have a bunch, or do you have a bunch too?
0: Uh, I have two that I'm between, but I can, I can okay. pick one.
1: Yeah, well, if you do those, then I can go from the ones that I have left over, because I, I imagine there will be some overlap.
0: Well, I just going to go with the one. I really liked the Robin and Solomon Grundy story. Oh, that was one of my least favorite. Really? Ooh.
1: At least, okay, the first half of the issue really turned me off. By the end of it, I came around.
0: Um... Zach, have you read the Solomon Grundy stuff in Starman? Some of it. I um, I'm
1: familiar with some of it.
0: Okay, because that to me that is like that's the best Solomon Grundy, obviously. Um, yeah, but no, I Vince, did you enjoy the story? Yeah, I did. Yep. Yeah, I thought it was first of all, I, I appreciate, and I'm not familiar with this writer, um, Dave Vargas. I believe he was also like the editor of this issue. Yes, he is. He is one of the editors of the issue. Yes, correct. Um, I think he did a a good Damien where I think it's too easy to make Damien just a prick all the time, and I think that this this issue made him uh not a prick, but still kept his sort of arrogance and all of that. and uh, I love a good Grundy story, and I think you know Christian Duce, who we've we've seen on the Flash and other things in the past, um, I thought he did a nice job with this. You know I love me a professor Pig story. I uh there was one thing Professor Pig said that was really out of character though. What was it? Um, I'll find it in a second. There was some like weird pop culture ish thing he said. Um Oh, now I have to tease you, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Yeah, yeah most agree.
2: of
1: my most of my qualms with that issue were like dialogue, um, uh-huh.
0: esque things. So yeah. But I also think that, that like it was, this felt like the Grundy from Starman in a way where I don't—I don't mean derivative of that because the characterization is not at all the same. But sort of, you know, one of the best parts about Solomon Grundy is that every time he dies and he's reincarnated, his his personality changes somewhat, and so I feel like that's not played up enough in uh, in most Grundy stories, and this played that up a, a lot, and I enjoyed that. I can combine that. So Zach, give us one. Can I give you two? Sure. Is that cheating? Yeah, but you can do it.
1: Okay, I'll give you I'll give you one for real one, but I have to give first I have to give kudos to the Brian Hill, Dexter Soy, Black Lion, and Katana one. That because folk's I know be dope. I know because I was the most down on the Detective Comics arc. Um but this chapter was really, really awesome, and I am very much down for the Outsiders book now. Um, Attaboy. Yeah, this that was a really, really good chapter. I liked it a lot, and if, if Outsiders has this tone, then I'm 100% in on that book. And um, Dexter Sway so no, is
0: doing the art for that book, too. So
1: Exactly, yeah, yeah. So this is basically like a teaser for that book, I think. Mm-hmm. Um no, the one I'm going to pick is the um James Tianyen, Mark Buckingham, Zatanna Corn Maze because uh, like, 100% my aesthetic Mark Buckingham is a treasure. It made me um feel like I need to go back and finish Fables.
2: <laughs> yeah, you don't though.
1: Don't you probably but
2: but but your point is well taken. I really liked Fables. Did it get bad? It it got pretty bad towards the end. Oh, well, okay. That's unfortunate.
1: Um, but regardless, uh, this chapter is beautiful. I love um, when artists do frames. I think it's just the best thing in the world. I think people should do it more.
2: Spooky frames.
1: Spooky frames. Very spooky good spooky even. frames. <laughs> um, I thought that was a very like nice, fun chapter, a great way to end the issue.
2: You know what else was great about it? What? Set in Wisconsin. Oh, who's a homer now? <laughs> James Tynan, apparently. Yeah, told you. Told you he was from Wisconsin. Yeah, and I didn't argue it then. I'm not going to argue it now. <laughs> yeah, actually, he he, yes, yep. He grew up in Milwaukee. I don't think he. I don't think he was born there. I think we talked about this. Yeah, IRL when we were together mm-hmm. in, in real life. Um. But yeah, there's a uh,
0: there's a part of me that was very afraid that when Zatara showed up, they were just going to speak backwards the whole time, and I was like, "Fuck this noise! <laughs> I'm not going to do this." But I'm, I'm glad it didn't turn out to be that way. Yeah, this is good. This was good. Uh, I, I do want to put the one major problem I had was, uh, and again, this is this is minor, and it was in a story that looked really good which was the Riley Rossmo um, Guy Gardner story. Mm-hmm. One of the things that is very clear about the Green Lanterns is that they don't kill indiscriminately, and Guy Gardner just murks anyone who comes near him in this issue. <laughs> and I, again, it's a horror comic, so I understand you got to be a little bit more bloodthirsty than that, but it just seemed like, you know, for a long time, there was, the rings didn't even have lethal force. It just seems like it's a big change in what the characters tend to do when he's just, you know, going all Rambo and everybody. Uh,
1: give me that Rosmo Greenlander book,
2: though. Yeah. Yeah. It looked so good. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Anything else? Any other, any other stories you want to comment on? Mm.
1: No, I think that covers most of them. I think trying to remember what the other one was that i really liked i think that is all of them actually i think we talked about them
0: i uh i did want to give a little shout out to um ricardo federici for doing a blue and gray batman costume Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because the world needs more uh, of those yeah
1: also i thought his art was uh very sod Ribic esque in that chapter more so than even in the um in in his aquaman Aquaman work yeah i i dug that
0: yeah, overall, this is good. I don't know if this is ten dollars good. Yeah,
2: but this is a good comic. Yeah. It's it's five ninety nine good on DCBS for sure. I oh think. yeah, <laughs> yeah that works. But yeah, your your point's well taken. I mean, I think I think you I think you almost always get three to four to five really good stories, and then. Ones you could definitely live without. And I think if that's, if it's worth two bucks per good story to you, then, you know, decide that for yourself. Or even just a
0: a buck per story and you're rolling the dice. It's a lottery ticket.
2: Mm hmm. Yep.
0: Yep. But yeah, this was fun. I I also dig the EC style cover. Yeah. Yeah. It's good.
1: Yeah. I really thought that I, I kept looking at that, and I thought that Thomas Wayne was actually, like, Necron every single time. I was like, (laughs) oh, Blackest Night, this is good. But then I was like, no,
0: no, never mind. Oh, Necron. Well, that brings us to Michael Cray, number 12, the final issue. Written by Brian Hill, illustrated by N. Stephen Harris. We're finally there. The confrontation between Diana Prince and Michael Cray with Constantine along for the ride. Um, Zach, I think you were the, the last to sort of come around on this book. How did you think this stuck the landing? I thought it felt a little rushed,
1: especially in like the final confrontation. But I think that realistically, even though it's been building to that, that's the least important part of the issue and the story in general I'm pretty satisfied with where it left off and like the implications of everything that went down. And I'm really excited to see how this kind of dovetails back into the, um, kind of like the grander overarching story that they're telling.
2: Vince. Yeah, I, I agree with what Zach said. The, 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 the final confrontation was whatever, but I, I loved the way that, And Stephen Harris staged it. And I think his work needs more of a shout out here all throughout this series, but especially in this issue with the way that now he, he doesn't do like the, the, um, the super impressive John Davis hunt, like macro micro panels type stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. but he stages an action scene extremely well too. And I think in this final issue, he did a great job of, um, he did a great job of making several climactic sort of moments between these characters feel pretty big with the way that he staged them. Um, thinking about like the last time, uh, or, what, or when Cray's confronting uh, his demon, like, face-to-face in that diner. Mm-hmm. Or, like, the last time you see uh, Constantine. Or just when you see Michael Cray finally, like, let the, the demon take over, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, all of those moments were, were made really larger than life, you uh, I think by N. Stephen Harris, um, I, I think it's a. This is another case of a writer and art artist working incredibly well in sync, um, which is what you get from Warren Ellison and, and uh, John Davis Hunt too. Um, and and where it where it kind of leaves everybody at the end, especially Cray, is uh, really interesting to me too. So. Um, Man, this was really well done.
0: Yeah, I'm I I've, I agree with everything you guys said more or less. I uh, I am very interested to see how Cray is going to be folded back into, if not the Wildstorm book, sort of the mainline Wildstorm universe. And I wonder if, like, I kind of thought that this was going to maybe end with a, a tease towards a new series or a status quo shift for Craig going forward, but it seems like they're just kind of going to let him be and maybe pop up where where he needs to in the future. Um, I still think that bald Constantine looks too much like Lex, like Lex Luthor, <laughs> also because yeah. we saw Luthor last, last issue, so it's a little bit hard to differentiate that. Uh, but that's a minor, minor quibble. For a book that I think started off without us really understanding what the point of it was, I think it certainly came around to that and ended very strongly. Yes, I agree. All right. That brings us to Zach's favorite book, Red Hood Outlaw, number 27, written by your friend of mine, Scotty Labdell, illustrated by Pete Woods. So this issue... This kind of dovetails with Titans. You want to talk about this and Titans together?
3: Uh,
2: or am I the only one who sees the connections there? No, I mean there's definitely there's definitely a connection, but I feel like um I feel like they deserve their individual. Uh, okay. That's fair. Sure. Yeah. Alright. Yeah. Well, um so this
0: issue sees Bruce Wayne track down Jason Todd to tell him that Roy's dead. And it was uh I think that sequence was handled really well by Lobdell. Let's talk about that first. What did you guys think of that of that Bruce and Jason sequence?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was the, that was the best thing about this issue, and it. I don't know if it mended all fences for me, but but it made me breathe a sigh of relief that that this is not necessarily the comic that we saw in issue number twenty six. Mm-hmm. You know it gave me the feeling that, that Labdell hasn't lost the heart that we were surprised that he injected into this because that Bruce and, and, and Jason stuff really hit home and it continues. Now the, the the problem with it all is that I thought we had some serious growth in Jason over the course of uh, the last couple of years with him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the penguin thing reset him again to this guy who's like not irredeemable but did this thing that goes against kind of the core tenant of the bat family etc and while this was a really nice moment with bruce that felt uh real and legitimate and earned and earned it still feels like uh, it still feels like the same old Bruce and Jason relationship now, like that will never change and and that's kind of a bummer to me. you know what I mean, sure, but it was well it was well handled um Zach, what did you think about the the Bruce? hug it out, bitch.
1: Uh, I feel completely vindicated in putting this book <laughs> on my list. Um
2: That's still not a top ten book. I don't know. Oh
1: you're... no, it definitely is. Um yeah, I like this issue a lot. Um, I mean
2: it's, I no think... town. it's no what? It's no border town. Well,
1: of course not.
2: Well, you didn't have Bordertown on your top. I ten.
1: had to make a statement, Vince. <laughs> I knew you guys would put Border Town on your list. Although, did you? I think only, Vince, you did, right?
2: I'm the only good boy here. It didn't
0: make my three issue criteria.
1: Exactly. We all had our reasons. Uh-huh. Brian has his his rules. Arbitrary. Yep. You have you have your your sense of of justice, and I have um, my goofs. Um, we are
0: just three different types of pedants. <laughs> yes yes
1: um but no i thought this issue was really really good i think of all the issues dealing with like um S- heroes in crisis aftermath um you know of which we've had green arrow we'll get to titans a little bit later um have there been any others or is that pretty much it i think that's it so far uh, i feel like this one handled it the best um, Pete Woods' art in this is really great. Yeah, Pete I Woods think. is great. Um, I feel I feel like this issue shows that Lubdell hasn't like lost sight of the the goodwill he instilled in the in the previous arc. I really like, of course, you know how the the Jason Bruce stuff um turned out, but I also like this little twist with this um this like underground crime syndicate in this like, you know, very idealistic small town. I dug that little, like, end cap to the issue. Um, yeah, I'm in for this. This is good.
0: Yeah, this was a good issue. Um, I have... I don't know if I want to save this for the Titans chat or not. Should should I save what I was going to say about Heroes in Crisis for Titans? Hmm. No, that's up to you. You're the boss, yeah, I'll, you're the dad. Yeah, I'll, I'll say I'm not the dad. I'll save it for then. Um but no, I thought that the um the Jason and Bruce stuff was handled really well here. I think that Lobdell understands the conflict between them in a way that I don't I didn't necessarily think he did earlier. Like the that issue where where Jason shot the Joker, shot uh, the Joker, sorry, the Penguin in the head. I understand why Bruce would be upset about that. I didn't really understand Jason's reason for doing that. And I feel like this issue does a nice job of, if not explaining that, just sort of showing us that no, Lobdell does know what he's doing in terms of this relationship. And uh, I think that's really important. And yeah, I think that Jason, Jason grieving over, over Roy felt very natural. yeah mm-hmm. yes all right well let's talk about uh supergirl number 23 written by kevin mcguire i sorry illustrated by kevin mcguire written by mark and draco um vince why don't you start us off with this one
2: yeah uh oh man this this one bowled me over um it's really it's really just an extension of the good shit that we've already seen from this series uh since Andreiko took over but I don't know some something stood out this week to me about the way that that this issue was structured um with her talking to the guardian what's what's his name um
1: Apiale, Opsis. Opsa,
2: yeah, yep, Opsa, yeah, yep, and then, and then, sort of being taken back to the the lanterns, and there's there's a ton of funny stuff. There's a ton of jokes in this issue that land. Um, the conflict, you know, sometimes I balk at uh, superheroes finding reasons to beat up other superheroes, you know. Mm-hmm. But this felt this felt earned, I thought. Like it felt like it felt like the Green Lantern Corps would legitimately react this way, you know? Yeah. Um and oh man, the moment where uh Kara escapes from the construct because Kyle didn't put a a, a floor, <laughs> a floor on it. On it. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> is hilarious. I mean, that's there needs to be more shit like that in in DC Comics, I think. That was so funny, so well done. The art from Kevin Maguire looks incredible. Um, man, what else is there to say? Mogo come, coming through in the end? Crypto coming through in the end? Ah, oh, fantastic. I loved it. Yeah, I think
0: Kevin Maguire is doing some of the best work of his recent career here. Every panel feels really classic and really um, dynamic in a way that I think not all of Maguire's work has felt over the past maybe 10 or so years. I I really like Draco's characterization of Kara. I love the use of crypto. As we said when we were talking about this book during our top 10, this is the best the Green Lanterns have been in years. Green Lantern Core is written better here than it has been anywhere else since yeah. at least the end of the John's era. And uh yeah, I don't know what else to keep saying. This is really good. And I like the mystery of this book because it feels like something like one of one of my big problems when with shared universe comics is sometimes there are plot lines that spin out that don't seem logical to me, don't seem like something that would actually happen. And I feel like if Kara did find out that her planet, which she remembers growing up, if, if she knew that person was still alive, would maybe blow up the planet, she would go nuts and go look after him and go try and find him. And this feels like a logical extension of the Bendis book in a way that we don't get a lot of logical extensions of other big comic books. Hmm. Zach, what say you? All the
1: things you guys said, um, plus crypto's a very good boy, and I really like FCO Plazencia's art I mean, coloring. Coloring, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the 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 very first page strikes like it's so distinctly their art, their color, um, because it it evokes issues of um, like Snyder and Capullo's Batman. With just like the the lighting effects and everything, and it, it looks so good. It it melds with McGuire's art extremely well. Um, Chris Sotomayor's work is good as well, but um, I was just struck by how distinctly uh, FCO's colors struck me in this issue. Um, yeah, this is great. This is this is some like deep DC lore stuff this is good green lantern stuff this is great characterization of kara yeah this um i stand by my choices this as the this is the number 2 dc book right now
2: yeah still yeah. hit
0: your high but that's cool
2: no it's it's yeah yeah yes
0: all right. Uh up next is Titans number 27 written by uh Dan Abnett as always, illustrated by Brett Peoples. Um so here's my my Heroes in Crisis thought, okay? So in this issue, it begins with Donna going to Roy's grave. And we know that Donna was at Roy's funeral last week in Green Arrow. Is it weird to anybody else that Wally's death has not been mentioned at all. That is really weird now that you mention it. Yeah. Like especially in Titans with Donna and Gar and uh and Dick as his longtime teammates.
2: For no one I to mean, say anything. It's really
0: really odd.
2: I mean it's, if if the weird. rumors are true, you know what are the rumors? There's a reason for that. I don't know if I've seen these rumors. That, that Wally is actually the killer. No, uh, but that would... But he's dead. I wouldn't be surprised if that's some sort of uh, fast-moving fake-out. But wouldn't, that st- wouldn't the character still believe he's dead? Um, well, I think we're probably going to th- find something in the next issue of Heroes in Crisis that would explain why the why why but, it's why that's not the case. Well, I I still call bullshit on that because
0: wouldn't it be even more alarming if their friend was a murderer?
2: Well, they and maybe they don't know that yet.
0: Or maybe they can't say
1: that yet because that issue hasn't come out yet.
0: It just seems to me like
2: it's very odd that no one's mentioned Wally at all. Well, there's gonna be there, there's gonna be a reason for that. If there's not, it's the yes. If there's not, this is the most poorly planned thing I've ever seen. I am sure there's going to be a
0: reason for it, but the other. I mean, I even think it's weird that Roy isn't mentioned in this issue. Aside from the aside from us seeing Donna go to his grave. Like, Mm -hmm. so much of this issue is spent with Gar being really distraught over Dick's situation. Yeah. And I know that Roy was not his teammate for as long, but it seems like it would have affected him. If he's as upset over Dick being hurt, you would think that Roy's death would have affected him, too. I just find it interesting that, for the most part, the only people who are talking about... The death of these characters are the people that are closest to them.
2: Sure. Well, heroes in crisis sucks ass. So that's
0: <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I, I'm talking about even in, in like the tie-in issues. You know, only yeah. aside from the Trinity, the only people we're talking about Roy's death are the people immediately impacted by Roy's death, and no one's talking about Wally's death. I don't know what that means for the long term. I don't know if there's an don't know if there's an in story reason for that, or if it's just bad writing.
1: It's a great question. Maybe we'll find out
0: one day. Maybe. Uh, but what do you guys think of this issue in general? I know Zach hates this book, so.
3: <laughs> uh,
1: do you want me to go first?
0: Yeah. Um.
1: So number one. I thought that the character on the cover was... um, Aqualad? Yes. Me too. So that threw me off. Um, I'm still really weirded out by this Raven storyline because I feel like anyone who is a... I feel like the average person will have forgotten the weird switcheroo that happened several issues ago and now just thinks, like, oh, yes, this is the normal raven, and she's lost her powers, and it's not a weird interdimensional elf man impersonating her.
0: Crikey, she's um, lost her spirit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, what else was weird in this that that I thought was weird? I guess, really, those were the two big weird things. Um, otherwise, it was fine.
2: Say where the hell is Lad anyway? That's a great question.
1: Um, maybe I wonder if he'll show up in the next issue. Maybe not. Maybe it's just Tempest.
0: I feel like he was sp- he was a part of the Teen Titans, not the Titans.
2: He was, yeah, yeah, he was, he but was. so was
1: Garth and Raven. Yeah, and Dan Abnett is doing Aqua things.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. I don't know. This was a weird one. I think, I think this is like one grieving comic too many for me. Um, and I also think that like now, if you don't make this death stick for a while, it's like now it's really like what well, was this all for? But
0: this comic had nothing
2: to do with death. It, had to it do with... did have some. It did. Roy was his grave was in there, all right. But
0: they were grieving Dick throughout the whole issue, not yeah, Roy. I, yeah.
2: Yes, I know, but. I'm lumping everything that Tom King is doing together. Okay. Um,
1: this is just the Tom King morning hour right here.
0: It is. Um, I like how they're also showing us the shot in Dick's head over and over again. Like it's the fucking Zapruder
2: film. <laughs>
1: wow. <laughs> You're not wrong.
2: Yeah. um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a real weird time, and I don't I don't really like it. But uh, I guess this issue looked pretty good. I think that's one thing I'll say about it. Pe- People's does a pretty good job, um, but I'm I'm just not a huge fan of I'm not a huge fan of what Tom King's doing, obviously, and so. It's kind of laying it on thick, you know? Um, I I will
0: continue to be the person who uh, pushes for this book hard because I think that this issue was the first time we've seen anybody really dealing with any grief. Not being sad, but dealing with grief. Like, Gar has some serious grieving going on in this issue and Megan has some serious grief going on and it just seems like this is the first time people are actually dealing with their feelings and talking them through and then when that kid dies at the end it just fucks him up even more like this this really felt like authentic grief to me in a way that the other like as much as I enjoyed that Red Hood issue I mean what is Jason really doing that issue he kind of makes up a Bruce and then he calls Roy's phone and makes a joke, and I know that's how some people grieve. I'm not. I'm not saying that that makes them heartless or anything. It just seems to me like this is a far more um, nuanced take on how people act
2: when they're grieving. Yeah, yeah. I'll buy. I'll buy what you're selling there. It's just. It's too much for me at this point. I don't know.
0: I just. I don't. I don't know what this book's going to look like without Dick as a major part of it. We'll find out in two weeks, I guess. Um, all right, and finally, we're going to talk about Wonder Woman, number 56, part two of The Witching Hour, written by James the IV, illustrated by Emanuele Lupechino. You will be able to hear an interview with James and Emanuella at the end of this podcast, Uh, conducted by our own Zach Wilkerson. And uh, the video is also on MultiversityComics.com. It went up a week ago from when you're hearing this, so just go back and search for their names. And uh, I will make it known that Emanuela told us we were the first outlet to get her name right.
2: (laughs) That's because we have a genuine Italian. Exactly. Gabagool. Gabagool all day, every day. We should have invited her for Gabagool.
0: We should have invited her for Gabagool.
2: I mean, she would have said no, because, you know... (laughs) Because we're weird fuckers,
0: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But she would have been very nice about it. She would have been very sweet about it, yes. Um, So, Zach, you read this book on the way into the convention on Saturday, on the bus. And we asked you how it was, and you said it was very dense. Why is that funny? <laughs>
2: well your underwear were uh, red that that day and you had what? a pastrami sandwich for lunch. And... Oh,
0: what, what
2: what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Just keep going. Just keep no, going. No, what
0: I was saying was, you know, because he was, was going to be talking with, with James and Emanuela. so mm-hmm. he was reading doing prep, but he's, you know, he said it was a very dense issue. And so I didn't really think of that until I was about halfway through it, and I thought, oh, my God, there are so many words on these pages. And I think that this is one of the problems that I have with Tynion's writing when it comes to big events is that clearly he has put a lot of thought into the machinations of how this is all working. And there's a very clear, like, system that he has in place for the magic in this world. And there's a very, very well-reasoned, well-thought-out mechanic behind everything that happens. The problem is he tells us all those things instead of using those things to build a story on top of. And so this comic took like twice as long as it should have taken to read because every page is overrun with words.
1: That's very interesting to me that that's your take because usually I'm like the word police for these books. If like a book has too many words, I'm not going to read it because I don't have that kind of patience. If I want to read a novel, I'll read a novel. Um, But I, I dug this issue. I thought that it, it was dense. it, It was long but it didn't. Um... I'm not saying it's bad, by the way. Okay. Okay. That's okay. Good. Good clarification. Um, I I didn't mind the wordiness. I thought it fit the story. I thought a lot of the story beats were really good. Um, I think. I don't think any of us were necessarily too hot on the, the witching hour um, intro issue. Is that fair?
2: Um, I I liked it. I liked that I mean, issue
0: more than I like this issue.
1: Interesting. Okay, I like not this not issue not on the
0: art side, but okay. in terms of the comic both overall. Both
1: sides, both sides. Overall, I liked this issue better. Um, I thought it was more interesting. I thought it fleshed things out a bit more, um, in in an interesting way. I liked the stuff with. Forgive me. Is her name pronounced Cersei, or is it Sir? I Cersei. believe it's Circe. Okay, I thought for the longest time in my head, I just said it Circ before I heard someone like ever pronounce it. Um, That's because that just...
2: you're not Italian. Yes. Circe.
1: <laughs> I liked that stuff. I really dug the oh, – here's another name that I'm not sure about. Is it, Ma- is it Manitou Dawn or is it
0: – You got it. Yep,
1: That's right. Okay. Manitou, um, I would say. Brian, see, that's the thing. That's the. Uh, is it Tau or Two?
2: I would say Mana Tau. You're probably I've, right. I've always I, heard Mana but but I could easily be wrong. I've never heard way. it said out loud. I'm just basing it on how it's spelled. But...
1: That's fair. Um, regardless, that character showing up, um, and with apparently her pre Flashpoint history intact to some degree, um, and a, like a career of super heroics in a, you know, behind, under her belt. So yeah. that's pretty interesting.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I I dug this issue a lot. I liked it. And I'm not just saying that because I
2: interviewed them. <sighs> I liked it a lot, too. Um, I... It's funny. I found the first. I found the first issue very entertaining. I think I mentioned how funny the back half of it was, and yeah, and uh, and how much better James Tynion's like wordy prose has gotten. Like when when he decides to, when he decides he's going to go wordy, I think it's a lot easier to read than it used to be. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I still think that's a valid criticism because there are a lot of words, but. I also agree with Zach in that like this sort of setting or this kind of story kind of suits that. I think I agree with you, Brian, that I I would like a little more showing than telling, but, but this also reminds me of like, you you know, I'm a Conan fan, right? Mm -hmm. Some of those old Conan stories in comics are really wordy too, even though there's good art and there's action going on, they can, those old writers used to put a lot of words on the page and there's something about like a sword and sorcery. And in this case, it's sorcery story that has a lot of words that I feel suits it in some way. And I wouldn't want to read this amount of words in every story and I wouldn't want to even read too many issues of this that would go on forever and ever, but it's a what a four issue crossover? Six is issues. Right? Six no, issues. No five. Sorry, five. I thought it five. It's five. five. Yeah. It's two five. Wonder
0: Woman, one Justice League Dark, and then the two bookends.
2: Okay, sounds good. So regardless, you know, an arc. I can read. I can read this for an arc, and I feel like, you know, what you said, Brian, that that he's clearly thought this out really well and is establishing this lore in a really specific way. Again, I g- agree with you a, l- a little more showing would be nice, but, but I appreciate like, you know, uh, a, a big thick fantasy novel, you know, and I feel like in some ways this is that in comic book form. Um, it's not always my cuppa, but I think it's working here. And I think, uh, Emmanuel Lupacino's art. Oh, Mon, it's, <laughs> and it's see, that's so why
0: I was partially so critical of the words. Like, okay, sure. j- just, just turn to the first page, okay? So we uh-huh. get this amazing shot of a unicorn. Really yeah. beautiful. Nothing on that page matters text-wise.
2: Yeah, yep. Literally yep. nothing but, matters. But and- again, that page reminded me so much of like an old Conan fantasy... But see, I would have spent
0: just as much time just staring at that beautiful art that I would have yeah. reading all that text that doesn't tell me anything. And I feel like that's, that's – fair. and again, a, a lot of what Tynion does here I think is really important for his process where he has to set this up. But I think most of the narr- most of the omniscient narration in the first half of the book doesn't tell you anything you didn't already know or that you need to know. And if you cut all that out, then the dialogue can be as wordy as you want. But when you're dealing with super wordy dialogue and super wordy narration, it just makes for a clunky read to me. And it gets better as the issue goes on. Like, once Cersei shows up, she gives us a huge download of information. But it's it's more useful information. It's not just dressing on the story.
2: I think I think that's a fair criticism. I think I think we can meet somewhere in the middle on yeah. that.
0: And again, I don't think this is bad. I just wish that, I wish that the that there was more of an editorial hand at play here. Um, I will also mm. say I enjoyed just a small little throwaway line here. I enjoyed Boston Brand referencing the old Justice League Dark.
2: Mm, yes,
0: <laughs> it just felt like that's never done. Like, it, yes, the Justice League prior incarnations of the Justice League are mentioned I've never heard anybody mention Justice League Dark outside of the
2: pages of Justice League Dark outside of the pages of Justice yes yeah that, yep 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 um yeah Zach you want to talk about that last page did you did you talk about that last page yet I oh man <sighs> remind me what the oh, oh yeah when,
1: when Wonder Woman goes Super Saiyan
2: yeah yeah <laughs> She absolutely does. One
1: hundred percent. Yeah, like there's, no denying it.
2: There's no other way to interpret that.
1: Yeah, and it, and it's good.
3: <laughs> it is.
1: Talk about your getting your manga and your in your <laughs> American comics. There it is, right there.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: absolutely. Look, hmm. Goku would never use a sword. That's all I'm saying. I I, but Trunks would <laughs> Yes, that's yep, she's Trunks. I, I didn't realize
0: Bernie Sanders was such a monk
2: enthusiast.
3: <laughs> look.
0: Have I read <laughs> all of one piece? I have not. <laughs> but <laughs>
2: <laughs> look. 799 <laughs> for 250 pages. You can't that's a deal that can't be beat.
0: Well, let's take a break, let's prep our next Bernie Sanders impression, (laughs) and
3: we'll be back right after this. Hey, everybody. Matthew from Marveling at the Movies here. Thanks so much for listening to one of the Multiversity Comics Podcast Network's episodes. I just wanted to take a quick minute of your time to tell you about something that the Marveling at the Movies team is doing. This year, we're participating in Extra Life, which is a 24-hour fundraising and gaming marathon to support the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals. Game Day is November 3rd, and we'll be joining thousands of gamers and dedicating our entire day to playing games and getting donations from friends like you. 100% of the donations are going to our local hospital, the Boston Children's Hospital, so if you'd like to donate. Your donation is tax deductible and will make miracles happen for families who desperately need them. To donate, you can check out our team page by going to extra-life.org slash team slash 40263. That's extra-life.org slash team slash 40263. This should bring you to the team home of the cool dudes, and you can follow us on social media all day for links to our live stream, where you can watch Matt, Alexis and myself get super annoyed at each other as the insanity of being awake for 24 hours begins to set in. It's going to be a great time. Thanks, and enjoy the show. All right, we are back with the second half of our show. Uh, We're
0: trying something new this week, kind of, you know, we're refining this format as we go along, and so we're going to start off by saying there are two books on the good list this week, and the good list basically means these books are worth your time, you should be reading them, but we're not going to talk about them because we don't have a particular. Thing to say. So Catwoman number four and Hawkman number five are on the good list. House of Whispers is on the okay list, which means, you know, it's fine. It's not very, it's not really good. It's not really bad. It's just, it's sort of there. And, you know, we're confident that it could go up or down or stay the same. That's the worst extent as I ever said. Of course, we're confident it could do one of three things. <laughs> things, things could happen. Things could happen to it. And we it will continue. <laughs> it will, yes, it will continue indefinitely. And if
2: you're if you're reading it, there's no reason to drop it.
0: Yeah, sure. Okay, that's a good way to say it. And uh, Suicide Squad's on the bad list um, for so many reasons this week.
1: For time immemorial.
0: Did either of you read it this week?
1: Oh yeah. No,
0: I did not. Okay, it's it's it continues to be bad. Um. So Vince, that brings that brings us to you with uh, your first uh, sort of micro review of the week.
2: Detective Comics. Yeah. Uh, number nine ninety, inching closer to one thousand. Uh, this is based my. Well, all I want to talk about with this one is that this is basically just this week in uh, this week in James Robinson dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, mind if I read a couple things for you? Go right ahead. All right. So Batman and Two Face are facing off, and Two Face says, "Why won't you accept it? Dent died the moment the acid hit the left side of his face, but me." two-face you've told me all i needed to know and he does the later... same thing with duke and batman okay. later that's gonna be my my later thing okay, okay. <laughs> funny i've noticed how you batman, batman <laughs> have, made, have made criminals so and he's talking to bruce wayne right now when he says this yeah funny i've noticed how you batman have made criminals so wary at night they relax their guard some in the daytime <laughs> Uh Duke, he fucking knows he's Batman. Alright. Yeah. <laughs> like how why? Doesn't doesn't Robinson read this out loud and, and is like, oh shit, people don't talk like this. What am I doing? And uh and then just weird clunky stuff like uh, like when Duke Duke later says, um Being the signal is getting easier. And after what we both went through with Two Face in the past trying to cure him, again like telling Robinson loves to write characters telling other characters things that they've already done together. Uh, After what we both went through with Two-Face in the past, trying to cure him, it was important to me I got involved. In fact, if it wasn't for my work with The Outsiders, I'd want in even more. (laughs) Like, come on.
0: I did find it interesting they referenced The Outsiders Mm
2: -hmm. as an ongoing
0: concern. Because we don't know, we haven't really seen that yet.
2: I mean, yeah, but they've been doing that in... Anyway, yeah, okay. It's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying it was a good thing. I'm just saying, you Yeah. Know. Uh, later. Okay, this is probably the worst thing in the issue, though. Uh, Gordon and uh, Harvey Bullock. <laughs> Too dark. Couldn't see a thing. In fact, I got no idea who he is you're talking about. Gordon says, Why, your namesake, the other Harvey... 2 Face, i mean (laughs) come on who the fuck like there's no other harvey in the world you know yeah like what your namesake
0: well don't you you, don't you know that harvey bullock's parents kept him without a name for 15 years until they (laughs) met harvey dent and then decided finally we have a name for our boy
2: if i met somebody else named brian and we were talking about him would i ever in a million years say oh he's your namesake Unless, unless
0: you were making fun of him or me.
2: <laughs> well, cer- certainly now I will after I've read this dialogue. Yeah. Um it's like he, it's like Robinson just noticed that they were named the same thing and so he had to make like a comment on it. Can I that. make a quick little
0: PSA here actually? Yeah. So um that reminded me of the uh Batman very Superman Martha moment of you know they're both named Martha and therefore it's important. So our our, yeah. our friend Matt Melikoff has a seasonal multiversity podcast called marveling at the movies the first season he and his two co-hosts watched all the mcu films uh starting october 28th they're going to be doing a second season of watching all the dceu films oh god and it's called martha at the movies
1: plus
2: them plus them that's they I just got... they just redeemed the idea yep. of watching all those movies exactly
0: <laughs> and Were they're doing a great exactly? they're doing a great fundraiser by the way um You'll hear about that in the ad break of this week's show. So
1: there you go. That's very good.
2: Zach, you were going to say something?
1: Oh, I was just going to say I listened to that whole season and they they did good work. It was very, very enjoyable. Yes. Better than anything we've ever done.
2: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, last thing I want to say about this is that Robinson actually has kind of a fun plot here. Um, I think... There, there are early, when, when Two-Face was first created back in like the 40s or whatever, mm-hmm. it was very silly. Everything was the number two to the point where like it, it wasn't practical and didn't make sense, right? And I think Robinson highlights that here, uh, that aspect of Two-Face that's kind of gone. You know, Two-Face has turned more into this like serious dark duality of man thing. And while there's definitely some of that here, Robinson does play with the number two, literally in a, in, in what would otherwise be a fun way if it wasn't weighed down with like this ridiculous dialogue. And I know that dialogue is like probably one of the least important or paid attention to things in comics. Um, I think it's something I probably harp too much on, but I just like reading this just makes me laugh, you know, in, in a bad way. And I think there's some fun stuff here. Like, some some
0: like meeting at the it, at the place which which is like a representative of being in the middle of some place at two o'clock in the morning all that stuff
2: yeah that and like the fact that Two Face changes the bounty from one million dollars to two million dollars yeah. uh just on a lark like that's that's great Two Face stuff that's like classic silly I like when comics do that sure. I wish Batman would do more of that it, but I it, just did, can't, it didn't I border can't. it
0: didn't border on laces out to you.
2: What do you mean by that? Just, like,
0: like, obsessing over an idea a little too
2: much? I mean... I mean, yeah, but that's... Like, without the clunky dialogue, that I think that's fun sometimes. Okay, that's fair. You know, like, I think that, that, that side of Two-Face's character has gone missing lately. And I think to bring a little bit of that silliness back is... is fun. Uh, I just wish, like somebody would read the script out loud.
0: I really wonder what happened with Robinson's dialogue. I wonder if it was always like this and we just didn't notice it.
2: I don't know. You're Mr. Starman. Yeah.
0: I'm going to start my reread in January. I think so. Yeah. All right. Uh, I believe you have the next book
2: too. Oh, geez. Mr. Egg Um... cream. (laughs) um plastic man number five gail simone and adriana mello uh why i wanted to highlight this book this week is um there's a really really nice heartwarming bit in the middle where uh you know plastic man has been trying to redeem himself throughout this series from being, you know, starting out as a villain and screwing up a few times, and then eventually taking on this like ward or orphan of sorts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Pato Swackatoon, is the, the name of this kid, and uh, there's there's a heartwarming bit where Pato uh, says, uh, "I love you," you know, because he's uh, Eel has been watching over the kid. For a while now, and it's very heartwarming. And then Eel turns around and um, reports the kid to Child Services, or like, or to the um, uh, whatever you call it. Uh, Yeah, I guess Child Protective Services. Yeah. And it's like you know, obviously Pato feels betrayed then and it really is like it's heartwarming at times and then heartbreaking and the art really captures. there's this panel of uh eel standing alone with his head down where you know he's he thinks you know i'm i'm doing the right thing but am i or like the fact that it's not so clean cut just sucks and what gail simone's done with that in in five short issues has been Pretty stellar, I think, just so much heart in this, and that's what Gail Simone's always done, you know, mm-hmm. always taken these unlikely characters and injected this like unlikely uh sense of purpose and heart into them, and uh it continues here, so really nice little issue,
0: yeah, I wanted to comment on that section too. I felt like it it was as realistic as that section could be in terms of. You understood Eel's motivations, but you also really feel for everybody involved, and it was it was well done. While I think this comic has been a bit uneven, I think that when it gets down to the real heart issues, it's quite good. Zach, anything mm-hmm.
1: to say? Uh, I have nothing to add. Okay.
0: All right, well, let's talk about Superman number four, then, written by... Our new favorite writer, Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Ivan Reyes. I believe, is this the final issue Reyes is on for a while now? No idea. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Um, but this issue has one of the things that I think has been the most apparent in Scott Snyder's work in the not-too-distant past which is just these gigantic ideas that are dumb and comic booky, but are wonderful. And the idea of Ray Palmer shrinking down the Earth and then firing it into the Phantom Zone projector, or something along those lines, <laughs> is like the perfect comic booky thing to do. Um, I think Bendis really gets what makes the DC universe tick in that way, and, and handles it supremely well like that whole part of the issue and 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 then the stinger at the end with adam strange still out in space and the earth not reappearing just a really perfect bit of comic um like uh cliffhanger writing it's it's this issue is just it's it's a really great example of silly comic book bombast done right
1: Yeah, I can get behind that. This issue was is great. This Bendis is very, very good. Yeah. yeah. I feel like every other issue of Superman in Action Comics, I go back and forth between, oh, okay, this is the better series.
0: <laughs> I still think it's Action, but...
1: I, I think I do, too. But I am continually impressed with, with Superman as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's well said, and I just want to point out one thing about Bendis's trajectory, then, because... Um, That bit that you mentioned, I feel like uh, over at Marvel, I read plenty of Bendis, like way more Bendis than I should have. And I feel like those moments over at Marvel were like, and I could be biased or misremembering or whatever, but like I feel like they were a once-in-arc occasion. And I feel like he puts one over at DC... He's putting one of those moments in every issue, you know, Mm -hmm. one of those things where it's like this is comic books, whereas I feel his stuff at Marvel was so decompressed and so talky that he was reserving moments like that for like once an arc or once an event. And this is just running at such a better clip than that. Yeah, I'm. I'm.
0: Frankly, I'm amazed. <laughs> maybe you're amazed at the way he writes all these characters. Maybe, yeah. Maybe you're afraid it's all going to come crashing down. <laughs> but
2: Oh yeah. Maybe I'm a man. Maybe I'm the only man who's in the middle of something that he doesn't really understand. <laughs> all right. Magneto and Titanium Man. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Wrong podcast. <laughs> um, Alright, let's talk about this 100-page Superman giant written by Tom King illustrated by Andy Kubert Um. Oh, you know we didn't even mention the Justice League Walmart issue The Wonder Woman story
2: Um, Is that the okay list? It's okay It ends with um Steve Trevor's plane dangling around the neck of, like, a giant... uh, That was a cool moment. Yeah, beast or something. I don't don't remember what it was. Uh, Not a lion, but, like, uh, I don't know.
0: Yeah, that was fun. Creature. Yeah, that's the okay list, too. So this issue begins with Superman essentially choosing to have a like a rogue, is it rogue Zeta beam? Like, sent into his brain?
3: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Basically. Yeah. And then, um, him being told there's no way this is gonna work, it's gonna make you mad, and it kind of briefly makes him mad, and then it works.
2: (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) what'd you guys think of this issue?
2: Zach, you slob on this one.
0: I
1: liked this a lot.
2: Um,
1: and because, so I, as I was talking about a little bit before the show, um, I'd had a little bit of wine when I was drinking this issue, so I was already in a bit of a bit better mood. But at first I was like, oh, this is awful. Tom King hates superheroes. He hates Superman. This isn't good. I really, like, was not feeling the whole, you know, boy jumped off the roof because he was pretending to be superman i was like this is too real this is not i I don't like this i didn't like diana's response but then as i realized like okay this is like a thing that he's living through in his brain and then the way that it all resolved itself i just i thought that this was very very good is that too generous
2: tom king the writer you have to drink copious amounts of wine to enjoy Mm -hmm.
1: Is that take too generous? What do you guys think? <laughs> Vince, go ahead.
2: Um, no, I think uh, I think I kind of more or less. I think I liked it less than you, Zach. But uh, but I think I kind of had the same roller coaster with it because I actually had, I read it twice because I was reading it and I wasn't. I was only like half paying attention while I was reading it and. For most of the most of the uh, issue, I was like, eh, uh, "What is the what is the deal with Superman right now?" And then I got to the end, and I was like, "Oh!" And then I went back and read it again, and then you saw like the the sort of arc that he goes on over the course of the story, and then I got it, and I think I liked it. I think I liked it.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. One thing I definitely didn't like was his Lois Lane characterization.
2: Oh God! Oh, thank you for reminding me. I almost let that. Yeah. But that
1: was. But that was pretty much like the Margot Kidder Lois Lane, basically.
0: Uh, I just recently watched Superman one and two, and she knows how to spell.
1: No, she doesn't. That's like the whole s- stick, right?
0: She knows how to spell more than this.
1: I mean, maybe. Like, I thought that was, like, her whole introduction in Superman 1, wasn't it? Uh, She's, like, misspelling things, or, like, Perry was, like, correcting her.
0: I think the po- I thought
1: that was, like, her whole thing. Is She's, like, a great reporter, but her spelling's atrocious. I mean, maybe... Her- everyone needs an
0: editor. But I feel like there's a way to do that that isn't this.
2: I guess. I mean, she didn't know how to spell... If she doesn't know how to spell politician... I like, don't know
1: how many L's are in it.
2: How many times do you think she's written that word? You know, I I think that was a I think that was a dumb attempt at a joke that like I I don't think it plays really well right now.
1: <laughs> okay, that's fair. You know, I
2: I, mean? I also think
0: that it's it's problematic in part because aside from Selena, I don't know. A female character that Tom King has written all that well. Like, his most effective female character otherwise was literally a robot from The Vision. Bart is okay. She's kind of repeat She she Jeff Garland's uh, (laughs) Mr. Miracles' Larry David a lot.
2: (laughs) You're right. I went to the store. You went to the store?! (laughs) <laughs> uh,
0: i bought a sandwich a sandwich that's like it's exactly what she does the whole issue
2: yeah that's true but yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right so if if mr miracle is larry david and big barna is is jeff garland richard
3: lewis is <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> marty funk orion i can't do this <laughs>
3: uh
2: who's lewis Susie, lewis wait a minute who's a lewis minute. lewis that's important yeah. yeah Susie essman is orion oh that's true yeah marty funkhauser is um marty funkhauser is uh 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 the stan lee guy um <laughs> hi father no 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 the stan lee pastiche oh um, yeah um uh F- funky flashman yeah flashman yeah i we'll we'll spare zach this yeah um another another uh casting he doesn't endorse exactly yeah i'm just the goof runner yeah (laughs) not in new york you weren't you were you were the perhaps the goofiest among us hey (laughs) hey i'm goofing here all
0: right this is fine um Aside from the lowest stuff, I, I did like, I did like the journey that that Clark went through in this, like in his own head to get here. But I do think it was also just a bit of lazy writing to not really show how he got through it, just that he got through it.
2: Superman. Yeah. I yeah, I actually like I I can excuse that in 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 lieu of the typical Tom King bullshit. Fair enough.
0: All right, Zachy, baby, take us home. All right. The
1: Flash, 56, written by Josh Williamson, illustrated again by Scott Collins, continuing the heat wave arc. Um, I dug this issue a lot more than the first one, I think. And something, the one thing I really wanted to mention in this issue, that got me really excited. Um, I'm trying to find the exact line, and I'm probably not going to find it. it um, but Essentially there there was some a line in here about the hosts for these new forces and I got really excited about the idea that we may get like we're getting these forces manifesting in the rogues right now mm-hmm. but I got really excited about either these things manifesting in either current flash characters or completely new characters and seeing that play out in the long term,
2: I wonder if that has anything to do with the event that uh, that Snyder was teasing with Williamson and Tynion considering yep. considering that the forces came out of Justice Snyder's League. Justice yeah. League-hmm
1: um, yeah I'm I'm interested in that I'm excited about that. I could also um,
0: see this possibly, and this is that we didn't talk about, was uh, The Flash Year One, which came out oh, of New York Comic Con, yes. which is uh, Howard Porter and Josh Williamson's within, it, they're doing it within The Flash, it is not its own miniseries, it is just its own arc, but I could see that being, like, if Barry, you know, a lot of times we use these sort of flashback storylines from when, if Barry's at his wit's end and nothing makes sense anymore, to go back to the beginning to see how it all began, you know. Uh, I could see these forces pushing Barry's, like, underst needing needing us to have a refresher on the Speed Force. Like you're doing all these other forces, and now it's time to focus on the Speed Force, and that's what the flashier one is.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What issue uh, does
0: that start in? I don't believe. Uh, well, maybe, maybe, maybe Josh told us.
2: Hey now! <laughs> no, no, no let, no, up, no. let me pick up that name. You no
0: in the interview. No, because uh, next I, week we'll have an interview I, I, with Josh Williamson on the show. Um, I
1: think I actually think they may have given a month. Um, honestly, said May. Okay, of,
0: so, I think you said May of 2019.
1: It, yeah, yeah. This thing says spring of 2019. So just
0: you know, mark that out. But it's far it, so, if each force gets, I think I think the first arc was four issues. With uh, trickster, does that sound right? Yeah, three or four. Three or,
2: something three like or
0: that. four felt felt like more. But if it, so, so, if it's two months per rogue, and this is you know, you could probably get to May without too much trouble. How many forces are there? Seven forces? No,
1: there's only. It, those are a different for. Those are a different thing than this. There's only the Sage and the Still and the the Strength for this.
2: Are I'm we sure, sure about that? Are you sure? I don't know. Uh, no.
1: The seven are different things. Like, there's one for each character over in DC. I thought, like, over in Justice League, like the Ultraviolet thing was a thing, the stealth Force was a thing. We don't know what the other ones are yet. Uh... I thought that the seven things that are un, you know, part of the universe or whatever, were different than the other than the Sage and the Strength Force. Because like the ultraviolet core thing was counted in that too, and that's not a
2: force. Um, Well, they're not necessarily all forces, but we'll see.
1: I didn't know. Oh, that's a big that's a big discrepancy there. I just I thought those were different. I thought that we were going to get seven forces for like each of the main like DC like like characters. characters. Yeah.
0: Uh are you doing some research to defense? Like and I I, like keep I keep thought that talking. this
1: thing going up in drowned earth was like a part of that too.
0: See I I think that what's confusing is that all of this came from the source wall breaking. Right, right. And so it's hard to tell if any of it has a greater connection than just that.
2: Especially considering the still force is part of that. Right, like, right. The Steel right. Force is one of those that they, you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it is. Let's see here. Um, I mean, you could be right, Zach, but that didn't, that didn't come across very well to me then.
1: So here's an article on CBR from back in June.
0: Seven forces that's... we want to see and five we don't want to see. <laughs>
1: no, yeah, no. <laughs> No, it talks about the still force and the ultraviolet lanterns, but the thing is, I don't know if we knew about, I I don't know if we remember, I mean, I think that, okay, so according to Luther, each force is something each of the Legion of Doom's members have been looking for their entire lives, whether whether they know it or not. So it's like tied to the Legion of Doom members. So I kind of right. don't think the strength force and the sage force play into that. Like I think whatever has been going on with Cheetah and Black Manta ties into that. Okay. That's fair. that's why I that's why I had that read. But yeah, but my I'll buy, but I fight
0: with your seven. My my point still stands though. I feel like they could drag out even if there's only three or four forces. That could get us to May. without too much trouble
1: yeah yeah because we still haven't really seen the still force play out in the main flash book either no or the sage force well we're seeing that now
0: well we're seeing the beginning of that i guess i should say
1: yeah 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 so that that's that's this arc. so we did the strength force arc now we're in the sage force arc who knows we are clearly not DC Comics professionals. We do not have our PhDs yet. <laughs>
0: um. Yeah. Anyway, good show, boys. What do we have coming about, up next week? That. Hey, <laughs> we're recording this so early. We may not be able to get <laughs> next week's uh, releases.
2: Oh, we yeah. can. Like a list we can. Of them. Just give give me a – do some soft shoe for a second. Okay. Uh
0: Um, So, yeah, we – as I mentioned before, we have uh, Marthing at the movies coming up, and that's going to be super fun at the end of October. Uh, We also have – we have a ton of New York Comic Con stuff going live. We recorded something like uh, 19 or 20 video interviews over the course of our time at the, not, not just the three of us, but Multiversity in general, as well as a bunch of audio interviews that will be coming out as, um, as uh, written pieces and some other cool stuff. We have a cosplay and just general photo piece coming up tomorrow. Um, it's good stuff. It's all really good stuff, and uh, you should be checking it out. And Vince, was that
2: enough song and dance yeah. for you? That was. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. We have. Uh... Uh, another great issue of batman i'm sure Mm -hmm. we've got cover number two we've got damage number 10 which i'm surely reading (laughs) we've got uh the 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 last dan jerkin's green lanterns yep we think (laughs) will will, will it ever end i don't know we got harley uh justice justice league yeah we got lucifer one we've got justice league dark we've got the last new challengers uh we've got Nightwing fifty-one. We've got Pearl number three, Sideways number nine, Teen Titans twenty-three. And I feel like I'm missing oh yeah, Aquaman, the road to drowned earth begins.
1: And is it isn't the Justice League issue a road to drowns drowned earth as well?
2: Road to drowns. Yes it is. Okay. Nine.
1: Oh no. What I just saw a thing that made me sad. Um, So I was checking to see when Sideways Annual Number 1 is coming out, and um, Bleeding Cool is reporting that it it was going to be drawn by Max Rayner, who did an issue of something recently that I liked, Mm -hmm. but now it's going to be drawn by Will Conrad. Is it the Uh, good Will Conrad
0: or the bad Will Conrad?
1: I am of the mind that
2: there is only one. Uh I'll say this, Zach. The black and white art at New York Comic Con was very nice. They're right, it was, it was. It depends on who colors, that's for sure.
1: Yeah.
3: Who
2: who's
1: it says also by Ibrahim Ibrahim Roberson. I don't know if I'm familiar with
2: them. that's uh the, the amalgamation between Ibrahim Mustafa and Chris Robertson. Right. <laughs> Uh, there the are o- is... the only way Chris Robertson would work at DC again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> their, their art looks like something I would not be into. Dang, I was excited about that issue. Now I'm not so much. Bummer. That's not for next week anyway. So it's not for next week. But Ben said sideways number nine, which made me think,
2: where's Grant Morrison? Yeah. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine.
1: Um looks like uh brian we've got a oh we actually have a force quest arc following the end of this arc in the flash a what sorry force quest barry's going on his force quest oh nice so
0: more more forcey goodness well until next week you can follow the three of us on twitter i am at brian actually you can follow two-thirds of us on twitter I'm at Brian is an app. I'm at Wilker Fox. If you have to get in touch with Vince, uh, do like Aquaman does, speak to some fish. They look up the message to him.
2: Who are you calling a fish, Turkey? <laughs> I'm going to go listen to our, our uh, live, the three of us together episode and relive the magic. It. Uh, it uh, as I was editing it, I was going to text you guys and say that
0: whenever I'm sad from now on, I'm gonna to listen to the three of us goofing off in the same room. Aww,
2: you you cried, didn't you? Uh, if I wanted to, I'll tell you that much. Looks <laughs> like Zach and Doctor Who.
1: Yep. <laughs> I forgot about. Ne- neither of you would know.
0: <laughs> no, we, we we saw it. Yeah. We watched it. We, we we watched you almost cry at dinner at the mere mention of Doctor Who.
1: And I wasn't even. If you watched me watch an episode of. Like the Matt Smith era Doctor Who stuff,
0: I'd be a blubbering mess. Oh, man. We should also say, just real quickly, we had um, a staff dinner for Multiversity last Saturday night. And we got to hang out with a lot of Multiversity staff, and it was it was a super fun night. And thank you, everybody, w- for coming out. It was super fun. We should also mention we uh, met a
1: fan at, uh, well,
0: we we mentioned that last time, but yes, did we? We'll say oh I, yeah, you're
1: right. We'll, we'll shout right out Rich
0: goodness. again. We'll shout out Rich again.
1: Oh okay, shout out to Rich again because he deserves it. Yeah,
0: I forget what we've done. Yeah, uh, we had a lot of egg creams. We did have a <laughs> lot of egg creams. <laughs> and uh, until next time, go enjoy an egg cream of your own, folks. Good night.
1: alcohol is the still force <laughs> speed is the sage force
3: <laughs>
1: Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. Hi, I'm Zach with Multiversity Comics. I'm here today with James Tynion and Emanuela Lupikino to talk to you guys a little bit about some of the projects you're working on. Um, Right now, you've uh, just started the Witching Hour crossover between Justice League Dark and Wonder Woman. why don't you all talk a little bit about what it's like to um, work on this crossover and what it's like to work uh, together and kind of your goals for the for the story moving forward?
4: Oh boy, uh, honestly, it's it's really exciting. Uh, going all the way back to when I first started on Justice League Dark, one of the big questions that I kept being asked over and over again is why why is Wonder Woman on a horror team full of monsters and uh, you know telling a horror event? That has Diana right at the heart of it, and her mythology right at the heart of it, with Hecate, the goddess of witchcraft, and how that ties into uh, the the mythology of Olympus and all of that. Like we are going to tap into exactly why Diana is a part of this team and the secret the secret magic of the Witch Mark. That uh, she's been carrying inside her since she was a child that she had no idea about. We wanted to sort of, uh, we wanted to, like, create the this real discomfort in uh, in Diana we wanted to to make her feel that what she thought was stable what she thought was the firm ground under her feet is now has now fallen away and she's sinking into something that she doesn't quite understand and uh, her mythology is now her mythology is now dangerous and she doesn't know what it means for magic and her she doesn't know uh, whether or not she can win and she doesn't know if she can control the power of the witch mark so that's really exciting and I've been really lucky with with the artists that I've been able to work with on this event particularly Emma who uh, absolutely destroys it on the two, uh, two Wonder Woman issues so yeah
5: When the woman uh, was a bright book, uh, very positive, and she was powerful and always uh, in charge of the situation. So uh, the reader trusts her uh, for anything happening in the book. And uh, But now the situation has changed, and Diana itself. Uh, was worried because something bad is happening to her dark magic uh, it's unpredictable so uh, she has no control of her power anymore and uh, she got worried she got uncomfortable and scared and the group is not um, it's not uh, in, uh, in uh. They lost the, their power, so they uh, they can't afford the situation. They can't manage uh, what's happening what's happening around them, and I think that this, this is the most creepy and scared um, component of the story.
1: So. Kind of going off what you were talking about with this secret history, yesterday we talked to Scott Snyder, and he talked about um, how secret histories have very much played into his writing of the Justice League characters and everything, and you're kind of getting to tackle that with Diana. I kind of want to ask you that question. What do you think is so fascinating about creating these these secret mysteries and, and a- contributing new aspects to the mythology of these you know very old characters?
4: That's a great question. Uh, I mean, honestly, I think it's a sort of twofold thing. Like, you want uh, one of the best ways for a character to, to, like, in any fiction to sort of discover more about themselves is that they, they uncover a part of their past that they don't quite, they never fully understand. Uh, but the other the other thing is that we're working in a like DC superhero universe where uh, you know continuities change three or four times, or more than that, and uh, you know we have uh, you know especially within the magical world, and especially with Diana and the the gods of Olympus and all of that, there are there are these constant cha- there have been constant changes to the point where uh, that it, like it. It requires every now and then to sort of like pinpoint exactly where, what that history is that le- leads us to this moment and picking and choosing from the best of all of those histories to build to. Uh, a, some, a really uh, exciting and different take of the, the modern day. So that's something that I've been talking uh, talking about a lot with uh, my editors and everyone on Justice League Dark and uh, and the Witching Hour. And but it's also something that we are sort of applying to the entire DC line in Justice League. So it's it's really really exciting uh, to you know it's it's taking all the toys in the toy box and it's like this is and basically saying like this is how they all fit together these are this is how all the different pieces of mythology fit together we haven't redefined what magic is in the dc universe since all the vertigo characters came back into it uh back in brightest day so that is the that's the excitement of right now is actually like nailing down some of the rules of magic some of the and some of the kind of cosmic... Uh, like, cosmic level... Like, what is magic? Who are the primary beings of magic? Like, what is it in response to? And uh, we're going... To, on one side of the coin, we have Hecate, who is the main villain of, uh, of of the Witching Hour event, and on the other side of the coin, upside down on the coin, is the upside-down man. Um, and uh, we're going to understand how they fit together. And honestly, we're... like. In you know, in the course of this event, we will get the entire like in from from one vantage point, we get the history of magic. So that is something I'm very excited about telling.
1: That is really exciting, and you had kind of touched a little bit on magic in your Detective Comics run. Um, You had the arc with Zatanna um were the sparks for this storyline at play there was that something you were looking forward to or has this kind of been a a happy chance that you've kind of been able to come along and pick up those story threads again
4: i mean these threads have been uh running through the back of my mind for a long long time and i definitely like honestly the that arc in detective was something that i was really excited about uh oh like uh, working with Alvaro on a Zatanna story is one of the reasons that I'm working with Alvaro on Justice League Dark. Alvaro Martinez is uh, my main artist on uh, on Justice League Dark, and he's also doing part three of the Witching Hour crossover, the Justice League Dark issue, and his work is absolutely phenomenal, and uh, he's become a close friend, and this is, like, uh, we both have this deep, uh, deep love of DC lore and the magical lore and uh, the the history of horror inside of DC Comics. So, uh, like, yes, there were threads that started then, but even before that, uh, you know, when I was working on Constantine the Hellblazer with Ming Doyle and Riley Rossmo, like, that was was also one of the points where I started thinking about, like, okay, this is more, like, on the ground, but what if, what is the the bigger story that uh, I, you know, the story I'm telling right now is if I could only tell one story about the all of magic in the DC universe and then I'm done that would be this story. And then I still have an idea for a story after that. So <laughs>
1: Oh, that's exciting. Emmanuel, I wanted to ask you um your work at DC I think has traditionally so far been very iconic superheroic work. Um very fun, very really enjoyable. Now you're kind of transitioning into more of a horror-tinged uh genre. Has that um changed the way that you approach the work or uh, how has that been for you?
5: okay yeah uh i'm mainly associated with uh positive characters as wonder woman supergirl uh superman but uh actually i'm a huge fan of noir stories dark stories and mysteries and here was full of mm, uh creatures fantastic creatures and um uh, you know a uh, surreal environment and uh it was like a party to me because i'm i i know very well how to work on that uh, that elements uh so uh i spent a lot of time projecting and uh figuring out how to um to to draw the uh cave and uh you know the, the magic forest with the unicorn and uh it, I, I played with uh, the uh, contrast of the uh, elements, uh, like the unicorn it's magical, it's all bright and sparkling, and then it comes dark and uh, uh, every, everything changes. So uh, I worked on the storytelling a lot, because dark stories are not about dark uh, and blacks on the pages, it's about the... Uh, the whole composition, the expressions, the uh, gesturing, the acting, and uh, uh, it's, it's um, you know, uh, like a, an orchestra. And uh, I'm the d- director, you know, uh, and I did it very well because I'm a huge fan.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah, and, you know, that's one thing, a, a misconception, dark, magical stories don't have to be dreary dark things your your work and the the, the coloring work and the in the issues are very bright very beautiful um so i i am really excited from what i've read of witching hour i've gotten a little peek at some of the stuff coming up i think readers are really going to enjoy what's coming up thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk with us today and uh keep
3: doing great work thank you